realize what an astounding thing it is that I can hold this book up before you and not have to fear um, that someone's going to be busting into this room and hauling me away or hauling any of us away for maybe a, a Bible that we have in our hands or just simple fact that we're meeting together. You know, when Fritz was talking about uh, the persecuted, you know, um, met a number of our Afghan friends who, who came and Man, they had, for, for, for years and years, they had to, to do this, but in secret. They didn't even have churches to go to. They just had, all they had was their homes. And um, I, was, I was reading, um, or I think I watched a video this past week about North Koreans and how a young North Korean um, person fled North Korea was, was talking to someone. Maybe it was, I think it was Joe Rogan or something. And, and, was, and she, was, she was explaining how Sometimes in the middle of the night, an official from the North Korean government would come into to, to the homes of North Korean people, and they had better have uh, Kim Ong Joon, I think that's his name, better have his portrait in their home. But more than that, he would come and he would do this at the top of the portrait, or go like this. And if there's any dust or any dirt on that, they could be sent to a concentration camp the rest of their life. And not only that, but two to three generations of those who belonged to that individual who had that dusty portrait could go into concentration camps as well. That, that, that just boggles our mind. We can't even begin to fathom that. So let's appreciate the freedom we have to open up the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord comes to us um, uh, in the book of 1 Peter. So what we're doing after a couple of week pause is we're returning to this book. And we're going to pick up where we left off. And I want to read from 1 Peter 2. And I'll begin reading at verse 9 going to read through verse 12 as we look at our calling, and it may seem strange to you, but we're going to look at our calling to be pilgrims, soldiers, and doctors. What does that mean? We'll look at that. So join with me, uh, verse 9 and 10. I'm going to read and then I'm going to pause for just a moment. So we read, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that there's the purpose clause. You may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the two verses that we're going to focus on this morning, that we're going to dig into and we are going to unpack, verses 11 and 12. Now, I'm working from the English Standard Version of the Bible. If you have an English Standard Version of the Bible with you, then you can read along. But also, uh, for uh, those of us who don't, I want you to take a look at the overhead. And you go about, from the bottom, you go about five lines. And what I want us to do this morning, I want us to confess these words together. So join me as we say these words together. Let's say together, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So as I said in the introduction, and maybe you noticed this before the service, if you uh, uh, took a look at the, the screen above me, you saw that the, the title of the sermon is Pilgrims, uh, Soldiers, and Doctors. 
And that, that gets at the root of our identity, and it's that identity that we find in verses 11 and 12. So when I, when I, when I uh, begin with the word pilgrim, I want you to ask yourself the question, what, what comes to mind in that? Now, if this is an afternoon service or a bit freer in the afternoon service, I would ask you, and I would maybe get some responses. But for the sake of time, I'm not going to do that. But I want you to think in your mind, pilgrim. What comes to mind when you think of pilgrim? Well, typically, you think of, of someone who's not static, immobile, but someone on the move. There's, there's momentum in their life. They're moving from one point to another. You think of like Abraham, right, who left a place called Ur of the Chaldees, and he was called to go on to the promised land. He was a wanderer on this earth until he got to the point of the promised land, at least the place where he was heading to. So we're pilgrims, we're wanderers as Christians in this life. We're moving somewhere. Where? To the promised land, to heaven, and ultimately the new creation. The Bible says that we are also soldiers, and as soldiers, we're called to fight the good fight of faith, right? That's what the Apostle Paul said to the young pastor Timothy before, um, according to church tradition, he was beheaded. He said, as an older man to the young pastor Timothy, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. We, too, are called to be soldiers, to have somewhat of a militant spirit. And finally, we're called to be doctors. And a, and a doctor is someone who is a healer. A doctor is someone who is empathetic. So when, when a doctor looks at an individual in his person and his calling, he realizes that he needs to minister to that individual and bring whatever healing he can to that individual. The Bible says that we're to be all three. That as we travel in this world, we're called to fight the good fight of faith over against the world and the things that we see in the world and yet at the same time as those who are in the world fighting against it we're also to be for it as we offer our, ourselves as instruments in the redeemer's hand as instruments of healing and blessing so god has called us together as pathway christian church not just so that we can bless each other but so that we can bless the world so in particular so we can bless the city and that's what we're going to be taking a look at this morning the fact that we are, by our very identity, pilgrims, soldiers, doctors. With that in mind, and with that introduction, I want you to take a look uh, particularly at verse 11. The Apostle Peter writes this, under the inspiration of the Spirit. Notice how he calls the individuals to whom he is writing. Individuals who are relatively new Christians, who are scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He, he addresses them as beloved. Beloved, you remember when, when, when Peter was restored after he denied Jesus three times, Jesus restored him, and do you remember the calling that Jesus gave Peter? He said, Peter, feed my sheep, tend to my lambs, take care of my people. Peter has a pastor's heart. So these are not just objective individuals. He, his, his heart goes out to them, and that's why he calls them beloved. They're loved by him. Even more importantly, they're loved by Christ. And he says, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, I'm going to draw your attention to the, the second half of this text. But for now, and I want to underscore again, as we unpack the text, and as I like to do, I like to deal with phrases and I like to deal with words and some of these words from the standpoint of the original language. Notice what Peter calls his readers, his listeners, notice what Peter calls us. He calls us, and here's part of our identity as Christians, he calls us sojourners and exiles. 
Now, kids, as they listen to this, you know, the Lord calls you a sojourner in exile, and, and it's likely you don't know what in the world that means. And you know what? That's okay, because a lot of adults are kind of wondering, what, is, what does that all mean, right? What does it mean that we're sojourners or exiles? So let me, let me break it down very simply. A sojourner is one who, and I'll put, it's really simple, is one who lives in this world. A sojourner is, is not one who separates himself from the world and protects himself and, and enters into a spirit of self-preservation over against the world. God has not called us to monasteries. God has not called us to live in holes and caves. You know, God calls us to be involved in this world. The word for sojourner in the original language comes from a form of the word, it's going to sound strange. Kids, sometimes I'll use the, the Greek language. It's going to sound very strange to you. Para oikos, para oikos. Para, from which we get our word parallel, means alongside of, not away from, but alongside of. And oikos is the Greek word for home. So really a sojourner is one who lives among others, just as you and I live among the people of this city. So some of you live in apartments. Some of you have your own home. But if you're, in a, if you're in an apartment, you're going to be in an apartment complex among other people who live in that complex. And if you have a home, your home is likely um, you have other homes around you unless you're living maybe in the flats or what have you. You know, then maybe you're separated. But you can see other homes from a distance usually, right? So here's the thing. As Christians, we are called not to hole up, but we're called to live among others just as we live physically among others in this city, Okay. So that's number one. Now, a closely related word is the word exile, which comes from a, from a form of the word paraepidemus. Paraepidemus. Again, para means alongside, uh, alongside of someone. And pedemus points to a traveler. A traveler, not someone who's static, but someone who's moving. So here's the point. When you put these two words together, you and I are called as Christians to live and work and witness and minister in this world among other people, but not permanently, only for a time. Why is that? Because you and I, we're all heading somewhere, right? We're heading to the promised land. We're heading to heaven. We're heading to the new creation, right? So, so here's the thing. When you put these ideas together, the fact is, this is why I called ourselves pilgrims. This is where we see our identity as pilgrims. We're pilgrims. That means we're travelers in this world, living among others, but only for a time until we enter into the promised land. So, so to put it really simply, we live in this world as Christians, but we know that ultimately, ah, we're, we're, we're not of this world. We're different. Kind of like, uh, I think I used this illustration before, kind of like a, a kid that goes into the third grade. Kids, maybe you can identify with this, where you just feel that you're a different kid in the classroom, right? So say you go to your class and you got 30 or 40 kids in that class, whatever, but you just sense that you feel different. And you think that others think that you're different. Do you know what? If you're facing that, don't get too down. Because maybe you're not so different as you think to give you that encouragement. But here's the thing. Even if you are different, you know what? That's what it's like to feel as a Christian living in this world. 
that you know you live in this world, you know you're a human being like everybody else, but you know what? You ultimately belong to Jesus, and that's going to that's gonna make you feel different because you're not going to live like other people around you, right? And your allegiance is ultimately not to the things of this world, but it's to Jesus. That's where your allegiance lies. Now, the reason why I bring that out is because not only to help us to underscore our identities as pilgrims, but also to be reminded of the fact that, you know what, Christians have always felt this way. And Peter understood that with the readers of his day, because he's writing to individuals who are scattered throughout the Mediterranean region, throughout the Roman Empire. And these Christians understood what was going on in the Roman Empire. They could see what was going around them. And they just felt, you know what, now that we know Jesus, now that we love Jesus, we're not, we, we can't live like that anymore, because we used to, many of us, but not anymore. We say, what was going on in the Roman Empire? You know what was going on in the Roman Empire? A lot of the same things that we find in our culture today. Uh, PowerPoint, guys, AV, can you put that up there? The first thing. Here's what was going on. Here's some, some bullet points about some of the things that was going on in the Roman Empire. Affluence. There's a chasing after material excess. Indeed, it was a great entertainment culture. Think of the gladiator games as just an example. There's a preoccupation with the body, with fitness. There is abortion that was rampant. As a result of that, there was a drop in the birth rate. There was a breakdown of the family. Alternate forms of sexuality, many of them that we see today. What's going on in Canada and where I come from in the U.S.? There's nothing new under the sun, as the Bible says. Also this, sexual permissiveness and excessiveness. They're increasing power and control of the state. There is religious toleration. Ah, except for Christianity. You know why that was? Because the Caesar, the emperor, was considered divine. was considered deity as God. And the Christians said, we will not worship the Caesar. And we will not consider him as God. Why? Because we serve one king. We serve King Jesus. And that's one of the reasons why many of them were persecuted. As long as you remain ultimately aligned with Christ, you're going to be persecuted in some way. You know, the Apostle Paul says, young uh, Pastor Timothy, all those who are godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So anyway, you, you take a look at that and you get what I'm saying. These are exact same things that we see. It's a different history and different culture of the Roman Empire, but man, this is, this is what you and I are facing today increasingly. So what are we supposed to do with this as Christians? The Apostle Peter says this. If you move on, if you put the scripture text back on there, AV, uh, verses 11 and 12, he says this. Beloved, I urge you as soldiers and exiles to do what? To indulge in the things of this culture? No. To abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, I want you to pay close attention to the wording there. Peter says this, okay, now that you're ultimately aligned to Jesus and you love Jesus above all, you can't love Jesus and love the world at the same time. You can't love Jesus and indulge in the very things that I showed you on the screen. They're incompatible. They're simply incompatible. So what I want you to do, and what we see elsewhere in the Bible is this. As Christians, I want you not to indulge in these things, but I want you to abstain from these things. Why? Because the things that you saw up there and the things that we find in our culture, they are fighting against you and me every day. Peter uses the term, they're waging war against us. Like they're, they're, they're firing mortars in our direction. And he says, man, you need to take cover constantly. 
Get into the foxholes and, and, and keep yourselves from these things. Protect yourselves from these things. And what's interesting in this last part of uh, verse, um, uh, verse 11 is this, that, that, that the verbs there, wage and also abstain, are in the present continuous tense. And it's, so it's, it's a technicality, it's important. So here's the idea, that as the things that you saw on your screen are coming to us and our kids, like bombs being lobbed in our direction, this is constant, and they're constantly waging war against us. But Peter says, as a result, you have to constantly, you can never rest. You can never rest. You have to constantly not only protect yourself, but keep yourself from these things. All right. Give us a little bit of pause here. You know, one one of the things you got to do in preaching is, you know, you got to explain the text, and then you just got to pull back, let people breathe a little bit. Pastor needs to breathe a little bit too. So I want to want to just kind of slow down here a little bit. And I want you to think about this. It is very easy, and and you see this if you're a church historian, that when when the culture begins to encroach upon us, some of the darker things, it's very easy for us. Um, as Christians to kind of just kind of circle the wagons, you know, and uh, kind of, kind of uh, uh, stiff arm the culture, if you will. And it's, 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 a, it's a temptation always to do that. And if, if you're a parent, especially, I mean, singles, you've got your own struggles. Parents, we got our struggles, especially when our kids are young, because what do we want to do with our kids, right? I mean, our children... Our children in this church are baptized, they're given the sign of God's mark and his covenant upon them, and we make promises, don't we, in our children's baptism to raise them in the things of God and, and not in the things of the world. So what we want to do is we want to protect, our, 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 we want to protect ourselves as parents, we want to protect our kids, we want to protect our church and all of that. And that's very understandable, and that's good. That's what we're called to do, right? Because, because what are we facing in this world? I mean, you read the news, Right? You know, the big, the big theme today is the whole woke culture and increasing sexual permissiveness and um, uh, this, this the, the, I mean, these, um, uh, these drag queen events in schools and in libraries, and that, that's as far as I'm going to go this morning. You know what I'm talking about. As, as we live in this sexually, um, especially this sex-saturated culture, and this, this kind of increasingly verbal, vulgar culture and all these things, it, it seems like the, the floodgates, right? The floodgates are open and they're just pouring into our lives. And, and you know, the, the Bible does say, and the language is pretty strong, and when, when people become, um, start dabbling in the Christian faith, they're sometimes taken aback by the, the strength of the biblical language, like flee immorality, the Apostle Paul says to the, the people in Corinth who were recent Christians who lived in a very sex-saturated society, he says, man, you, gotta, you have to flee that. You don't dabble in it. You don't get as close to the fire and think, I'm not going to get burned. Man, you've got to run. You've got to run. And it's interesting that when you look at the Bible, you see examples of fleeing immorality. If you grew up with the Bible, maybe you're going you're gonna, to uh, remember these things. Like... Um, uh, Noah in the building of the ark. You know, God says build the ark. Because you know what? Judgment is coming. It's not coming right now, but it's going to come. 
Remember, Noah preached that to the culture of his age. He got hit up, side of the head for that. Remember, he was mocked for that. Or how about um, Abraham and uh, his nephew Lot? Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? They headed to the hills. God said, get out, get out, because judgment is coming. They didn't stay in, they fled, they fled. Or you think of Elijah and the prophets of the Lord. Wicked Queen Jezebel was hounding them, and they, she wanted their lives. What do they do? They, they stick around because they were going to be bold, and they're going to be courageous, and we're going to continue administering the word of the Lord. No, they fled into, into caves. Or you think about this. You think um, uh, how you read in Hebrews chapter 11, where you read about first century Christians who, who fled to hills, and they fled into the caves and the holes of the ground in order to escape persecution. So... Here's the deal. Sometimes you got to flee. Sometimes you got to go. But what Peter's telling us, and he's telling his readers, is there may be a time for that. But it ain't now. Not now. It's not, it's not now for us either. Why do I say that? All right. Verse 12. On one hand, we need to abstain from sin and the flesh that wage war against our soul. And then he goes on to say, but keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify your God on the day of visitation. Now, take a closer look at verse 12. Or if you're of your Bibles, take a look at that. He says this, keep your conduct, that is your lifestyle, among. He didn't say this is interesting. He says, abstain from sin, but that doesn't mean you live apart from the world. Live as a contrast people, yes. Live as a holy people. And by your lifestyle, among the Gentiles, literally among the nations, the ethnone, from which we get the word ethnic. So, so he's saying, live Live not apart from, but live among the nations, live among the people of the city, he says, in, in, in what way? What kind of fashion? In an honorable fashion. Now, maybe you have a different translation of the Bible. Um, some translations of the Bible use a different word like excellent. Uh, the word here is a very simple word in the Greek. It's, it's a form of the word kalos, which means good. Live your, have, may your conduct before the nations be good. But it's a little bit too general. That's why, to, to get more at the heart of it, translators say honorable or excellent. But in other contexts, I want you to think about this. In other contexts, it's, it's uh, so, some, sometimes the word for good here or excellent or honorable is actually beautiful, attractive. You ever think about your witness as a Christian as... Uh, as being attractive or being beautiful? You ever think to yourself, I need, I need to not only be faithful and stand on the truth, which we need to, but in doing so, I want my convictions to be beautiful in the eyes of those who behold me and behold my life and hear my language and so on. So the idea is that we're not to withdraw from the culture, but we are to be among the culture and among the culture in a beautiful and attractive way. Now, this is a challenge because there, um, there are many churches that 
that live what we call antithetically. That is, they, they, live, they want to live as a holy people and as a contrast people and as an alternative community, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're an attractive community. Right? I've, I, have, I have been with Christians, and, and perhaps maybe they, ha- maybe they have seen that in me, but I've been am- among, among Christians who are like, man, it's all about the truth and standing for the truth and over against the culture, and sometimes there's a very soldierish, militant spirit about them, and you can, you can appreciate their convictions. But at the same time, they sometimes present themselves before the world, not exactly uh, someone that the world is attracted to or finds particularly beautiful and winsome. And when, when, when you can have both, when you can live as a Christian abstaining from sin, but in such a way that it attracts other people's attention where they be, whereby they say, not, that guy's weird, but he's got something or she's got something in their lives that I want, then you have something. And, th- and you know what? That is a pastor. That's my prayer for Pathway, that we be at what we call an antithetical people, that we be a contrast people, that we know what we believe and we're convicted about what we believe, not just in generalities, but the details, but we do so in a winsome way, in a beautiful way an attractive way. And you know what? When we do that, you know what we're doing? We are actually holding hands with our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone on before us in the best of times, particularly the readers of Peter's day. One missiologist um, describes how Christians live beautifully and attractively before um, the Roman Empire. And if you put the second PowerPoint on there, if you would, This is what he writes, and it's it's somewhat of an extended quote, but it's an important one. The enemies of Christianity conceded that there was an attractive power in the early church, men such as Julian the Apostate, Thelsus, Lucian, and Pliny. Now, these these were not Christians. These were pagans. And Julian Apostate, he certainly was not a Christian, but he had to to admit that the Christians were doing something in in the life of of, of the culture, and people found them attractive. What was the content of this attractive life? The early church broke down the barriers that had been set up in the Roman Empire between rich and poor, male and female, slave and free. A potent gospel of love and charity was exercised toward the poor, orphans, widows, sick, minors, prisoners, slaves, and travelers. The exemplary moral lives of ordinary Christians stood out against the uh, rampant immorality of Rome. Their hope, joy, and confidence shone brightly in the midst of the despair, anxiety, and uncertainty that characterized a crumbling empire. Christians exhibited chastity, that is, sexual purity, marital faithfulness, and self-control in the midst of a decadent, kids, that means like immoral, and sex-saturated empire. The lives of the believing community, nursed and shaped by the biblical story, enabled them to live as resident aliens, as lights in a dark world. In the cultural context of the Roman Empire, their contrary values, we could say as a contrast people, led to a contrary image of community that was, notice the word there, attractive. Was attractive. And my friends, that's what the Lord calls us to be, obviously, as well. He, he calls us to be attractive. And you know what? When you do that, did you know that you're actually mimicking 
the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was a contrast person. Amongst the, amongst the sin and depravity that he found around him, Jesus was not considered weird except by, and, and, and deluded except by the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of the day. But there were many, there were many who actually saw Jesus as a beautiful, attractive figure, and they were drawn to him, and they felt compelled to take hold of him, and Jesus felt compelled to grant them the touch of healing. And as followers of Christ, who are called to mimic his ministry in this world, to be what we call incarnational Christians, when we fulfill our calling in light of the ministry of Jesus and the text that we find here this morning, that has a very positive effect. Because what it does is it shuts the mouths of naysayers who want to say negative things about us, either as individual Christians or as a church. But what it also does is we live beautiful lives, it also wins the hearts of those who are drawn but they find sometimes irresistibly to us and ultimately to Christ. Peter ends with these words, and I'll just read them. Live this way honorably, beautifully among the nations, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may actually see your good deeds and your lifestyle. And what, blaspheme God? No. In the end, glorify God on the day of visitation, the day when Christ visits us. And we are together. Literally, it's the day of inspection when we come before the judgment throne of God and they will say, I once blasphemed them. I once pointed fingers at them. But now I glorify God because I was attracted to their beauty and I was ultimately attracted to the beauty of Christ. So, who are we? We're pilgrims. We're soldiers. And we are doctors. We're healers along with Jesus Christ. We're called to live according to a different story, called to live according to a different ethic and a different style of life. And that too, not apart from the world, but in the world as an attractive people. And may the Lord more and more make us these kinds of Christians and this kind of, of church. May the Lord bless us in that. With that in mind, why don't we pray for that now? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, you call us very specifically, oh God, to be a particular people, pilgrims and soldiers and healers. Father, in this prayer now, in response to the word, we recognize that, that on many occasions, Lord, this, this is our desire but, Lord, we, we do, we do at times trip over ourselves. Sometimes we, in, rather than abstain from sin, we indulge it. Rather than being faithful travelers on the way to the promised land, we trip over ourselves. Lord, we confess that to you this morning. Sometimes, Lord, we're not always militant. Sometimes we lack boldness, we lack courage. Sometimes, Father, we are not doctors, we are not healers. We lack empathy for the lost around us. So, Father, in recognizing that, Lord, we pray through the powerful ministry of your Spirit that you would transform us, you would renew us, and bring us back, O oh Lord, to fulfill lovingly and joyfully the callings that you have given us to be pilgrims, to be soldiers, and to be doctors, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. 
all right we're going to respond and we're going to sing him